Hey there, and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. It is great to be with you all again. My name is Robert, Communications Director for Ministry to State, and here with me, as always, my very good and dear friend, Will Stockdale. Will, what's going on, dude? What's going on? Well, it is a it is a overcast, hazy Wednesday afternoon. Um, the feeling of fall is in the air. Is it though? Does this feel it like fall to you out there? Well, you know what actually is the reason why it feels like fall is because last night I watched playoff baseball. So that's that's fair. I mean, that's that's totally fair. October is the greatest baseball month around, right? Here, here. Here, here, here. Yeah. Who'd you watch? So, yeah, but maybe like temperature wise, it's not as quite a, a fall season yet. But, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the grocery store, they've got pumpkins out now. Yes. You can buy Halloween candy. I already ate my first bag of candy corn. Are you, are you pro or anti candy corn? I just don't get it. I just I don't too- get it. <laughs> candy corn doesn't have enough flavor for the multiple colors. I think that if I am going to eat a candy that is multicolored, like that. I want for each color to represent a different flavor. At least like I'm getting something exciting. It's just a bland piece of like sugar of just, that's it. At least other bits of, of melted together sugar have more flavor to them. Candy corn to me is a nostalgic candy with little real world value. You better be careful. You're going to get anathematized on this podcast. I am a, I'm actually not a fan of candy corn but I love the candy pumpkins. Those are well, yeah, I that's only, a totally, I exclusively the pumpkins. Yeah. It's a totally different candy. It's a totally <laughs> different candy, obviously, obviously the, the, um, gourd, the gourd is a much better shape than the maze uh, yes, for, sure. for, for candied uh, treats. And uh, well, we thank you guys for listening. No, I'm just kidding. That was not, it's not, not a full episode on candy corn. Uh, actually, today so we're back next week with the <laughs> Rob and Joe show. We are excited <laughs> to have a new host here. Um, <laughs> well, Will, I would never replace you. No, today is actually a bonus episode uh, of go, or going through the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, if you've been following the show, you know that uh, a few weeks back uh, we began and then went through. Uh, chapter, uh, what chapter is it again? Chapter 23. 23. Yes. I was going to say 23, but I didn't want to sound wrong, but it it, it is 23 uh, on the civil magistrate. And uh, we went through it section by section uh, and sort of talked about it as it relates to people who work in government and and Christians as they think about how they interact with the state or how their church interacts with the state. Um, And Will, I think think it's uh, right to say we got a lot of positive feedback about uh, those episodes. And I think a lot of people appreciated um, uh, drawing from the Westminster Confession of Faith and learning a little bit about it. Um, and so you, you had the brilliant idea of like, let's do a bonus episode because you really want to talk about oaths and vows uh, in chapter 22. Now, I'm not, it's not just, well, I want to talk about it as well. There's, there's a lot to be said. It's an important chapter, but it, oaths and vows, not exactly the like most pressing topic in the news uh, media or on bylines these days. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the things that's interesting about this conversation, talking about oaths and vows uh, is, is chapter 22. So it comes right before the chapter on the civil magistrate. And I think at, at another point, it would be fun for us to look at the topic of Christian liberty as well. And um, the way that Christian liberty is restrained in the confession to um, 
being willfully uh, disobedient of the government um, when it is not causing you to disobey God. It's a convicting thing to say, because I mean, immediately the easiest low hanging fruit there for me is speeding, something like that, <laughs> how we, we do have Christian liberty, but there is a sense in which Christian liberty is connected to the state and to the government. And how does that work? And then there's also restrictions on um, when, when our Christian liberty is abused, that the state is not allowed to punish that is to be, that's another conversation, but I think it'd be, it'd be interesting to look at that because I think it is broadly um, you know, in the day to day, not not many of us are asked to go before Congress to to hold up our right hand and to to testify on something. But we do uh, understand that our leaders take uh, vows, uh, take and will take oaths, and um, we know that those are broken. And we sense something almost visceral, I think, at that when they're broken. We break our oaths sadly at times. Um, but it has I haven't to do- broken this vow, but. Or this oath, but one that I think that immediately comes to my mind, uh, which probably for other listeners too is marriage. Just the the fact that how many marriage vows are routinely broken in this country. Uh, I, I think that's another big one too. Yeah, and it's it's heartbreaking. And so I think um, when we look at the the structure and the 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 context in which we live and the importance that uh, oaths play in our day to day lives in our world, I think we sense an importance and understand kind of a, a limiting um, uh, restraint they can put on those in government. So, I mean, I guess if we just want to get in here, we've, we've been getting, been using a lot of Chad Van Dixhorn's commentary on this. And what really triggered me, uh, triggered me not in the bad sense, but to say triggered. Yeah. If anyone triggers me, it's that Chad guy, uh, <laughs> but that he, he pointed out, he said, you know, you, we might think that a whole chapter on this is curious, but he said, if you are a divine asked every Monday morning to, to make a, an oath that you are going to uphold what the assembly has asked you to do, uh, then you're going to think that that's pretty important. And you're going to see that it holds a great importance for the way that common life is reliant upon people actually fulfilling their vows. And so there's, you know, there's, um, well, we have actually seven paragraphs here. We may not get through all of them. Um, but Robert, when you think of this topic and you think of O's, wh- what, what makes it important to you? What, what sticks out to you as like, this is a good thing for us to talk about? Yeah. Well, I mean, so I've never had to take a, an oath in front of uh, a congressional hearing or, or, or committee. Um, I've never had to take an oath. Like I've never been on like jury duty or been convicted of a crime or anything like that. So like, I've never had to, you know, swear to tell the truth or something like that, but I have taken marriage vows. Um, and, you know, I think about, uh, what, you know, I said before God and before my family and before my friends about what I vowed, um, to do as a husband, uh, to and for Kirsten. And, you know, I think about some of the ways that, you know, when you make those values, you're like, well, of course I would never do any of these things. I would never, you know, break any of these vows. Um, and then you get into the real hard part of living. And I'm not saying I've ever been like, oh, I want to get out of this. But like, you realize that marriage is hard and you realize that like, sometimes you do lean on your vows and you know, I, I, I promised this before the almighty and most holy God that I would not do this. Um, 
And I think that's, that's really compelling um, for people. Now, what, what I think is also important, why this topic is also important is because we've seen, especially in our political system, um, how often vows and oaths are dismissed um, and not taken seriously. I mean, I'm watching uh, on, uh, I can't remember what channel it's on, but they're doing a true crime sort of docu-series uh, uh, about the impeachment uh, of Bill Clinton. And, you know, what's what people, I guess, I mean, it's it's true and, and maybe everybody knows this, but, you know, something that always kind of it, it's always funny. It's like what Bill what Bill Clinton was charged of was was not actually any of the affairs or uh, sexual uh, deviancy. He was charged for perjury that he had he had broken his vow. He had broken his oath uh, uh, under under or to tell the truth under oath. And um, we kind of just dismissed that as like. Uh, that wasn't really a big deal. Like, it's just perjury. I mean, come on. And you're like, no, he, he looked people in the eyes and he promised that what he was doing was he was telling the truth. And then he later came out and said he let he lied. I mean, then you, then you wonder, like, how can people, you know, uh, how then can we expect people to then step back in front of the American people and ask for their trust? Um, and people kind of wantonly give it back. I mean, I just think that that's interesting. Uh, in the context of chapter 22 of the WCF. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say one of the things to swear an oath is to swear and to commit ourselves or to vow and commit ourselves to do something in the sight of God. And so an oath is to two people and it's in God's name. And I think that um, as us moderns, it might be kind of, um, it, it might, we might wonder why is it important for it to be in God's name? Well, first of all, we know that it, uh, it shouldn't be in any other name uh, that we should swear something. Uh, but I think in, in some sense, we, we might just stop at saying, well, it it shows the seriousness with which we take what we're saying. And like, there's some truth to that. There's definitely a level of seriousness there, but it's bigger than that. And that we recognize uh, we're making an appeal to God. And we also recognize that the the world that we inhabit, the universe that we live in does have a moral architecture as much as it has a physical architecture. When, when God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis one and two and made man and put him in it, he did not just create and construct physical material laws. There are, there are moral and spiritual laws that have also been created and that are also existing in this world. Um, and that to violate the moral law is to violate a law of the universe, uh, a law that, and I don't mean like some abstract spirituality. I mean that, that the moral law is written into the universe as God has created it to be. And so to, to lie is to tear at that. And so we, we understand that we are committing a, a moral failure before God. And so uh, that is why I think it is important to make that in his name. And that is actually much more, connected to reality. Um, and, and look, I think part of the evidence for this is that if it weren't for sin, our, our rejecting of God, then we wouldn't have things like earthquakes or, or forest fires or whatever. So there's the creation obviously groans under the effects of our sins here. And I think another thing to say, as we get started, I remember when I was a kid, I was pretending I was a detective and in my little detective world, I asked my friend, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? But, you know, I was in the middle of an investigation. I wasn't even in a courtroom at this part of my imagination, which was totally out of place. But uh, he said, no. 
And I was like, what are you doing? We're playing a game. Like, why aren't you going to do this? And he's like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to swear an oath. And, um, and I think there are certain, there are a lot of Christians out there that think that we're just not allowed to, to swear us at all. That like, there's no room for that. Well, I think there are a couple responses to that. Um, one James, uh, doesn't say that we shouldn't, but just that you shouldn't do so hastily, that we shouldn't rush in to them to do them. And second is Hebrews assumes uh, in Hebrews chapter six, that vows are, will take place and that they're fine. So I, I think those two kind of to get things out of the way, one, the importance of them, that they're connected to like the grain um, and the moral structure of the universe, that vows are, are important. And I think another thing, O's and vows reflect something of our weakness in this world that we do not always follow through with what we say. Um, and that there are pressures in life, especially for, for um, government officials who there's a reason that the president takes his, takes his vow uh, on a Bible typically before the Supreme court justice uh, because his duties and responsibilities are so great. And there's so much temptation to break them that he, it is, it is a very good thing to make that, that oath and vow there. So those are just some some opening thoughts, but what are you? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really thinking about this in the context of, I'm reading uh, John frames, uh, the doctrine of the Christian life. Um, And uh, if anybody's familiar with, with that book, um, I think it's a pretty, um, I think it's a, it, it looms pretty large in terms of reformed ethics and, and, especially in sort of contemporary writings. And um, uh, he examines oaths and vows in context of the third commandment of reference, reverence for God's name. Uh, and, you know, talking about, you know, the way that, you know, lies, truth is the, is the moral architecture of this universe and lies tear at that. They, it rips it apart. Well, oaths and vows are sort of like a, almost like a, um, uh, a common grace solve in some ways and in, in, in a means of pr- providing stability. He, so uh, uh, one thing that John Frame says is that oaths, oaths help to maintain stability in a fallen world. It, it is a way that we sort of um, uh, uh, ensure or protect that truth telling architecture of the moral universe. Um, and it also points to a, a future. And so like one things I think about this in the context, and I think you were sort of referencing it, you know, when Jesus says in Matthew, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Like, don't take oaths. Um, what, what Jesus is sort of, I think, pointing to uh, is that future when oath keeping and oath telling will no longer be required in the new heavens and new earth because we will have perfect truth. So John Frame says this, um, uh, you know, these passages, in it, right, he talks about the James one that you mentioned too, do not forbid all use of oaths. Rather, they remind us of the seriousness of oaths, that God's involvement is inescapable and that there are divine sanctions for failing to keep our commitments. The larger biblical teaching calls believers to form communities in which oaths will not be necessary or, and I think this is more helpful to put it differently, in which we'll, we will be constantly under oath. Um, and I think that that idea of the church as being a place where we don't, you know, you don't have to, uh, if somebody promises to, to bring food for the potluck, you know, you want to be in a church where you, you don't have to, well, I need you to swear an oath to that, that you're going to bring food. The, the church community is a place where when we take uh, our vows of membership before the community, that that we we sort of understand that that wasn't just for that moment, but that's for the rest of our our Christian life. And as we wait into the to the consummation of the kingdom, uh, when those will no longer be required, because we'll be in perfect communion with God, and we'll be 
restored and made as we were, which was perfect truth tellers. Um, and I, I think that's what I think about when I think of oaths, that oaths in some way are a common grace element of sort of, of maintaining and preserving truth telling in a fallen world. And at the same time, they point forward to that day when oaths will no longer be required. Um, and I think that's, I think that's kind of in there and sort of reformed ethics. Yeah, man, what you're saying really makes me see the think about the death of the handshake deal. Um, yeah, that you only really do that with people that you really, that you really, really close to just like a buddy or a friend. Uh, but even then, if it's big enough, you probably want to have a contract and you want to make sure you get everything in writing. And also the the rise of things like NDAs as well. There is just, and we'll get to this at the end, but I think one of the reasons we see this important is so important is that we live in a time where lies are so rampant, um, whether that's uh, misinformation and people, whether that's people manipulating, um, whether that's people who are lying under oath that we just know. Uh, I, I had a college professor say, we were talking, it was in one of my philosophy classes and we were talking about epistemology, which is a study of knowledge and how do you know something is true basically. And it's like, you know, it's kind of interesting, kind of sad or ironic that the reason we have, one of the reasons we have this whole field of epistemology is because people are liars. And um, we, we want, you know, O's also reflect, like, we want to know we can trust someone. We want to know that we can, that someone, what they told us is going to, they're going to do it. And, and especially so when someone breaks it and whether that's a president or a Senator or a friend, like it really hurts because like, Hey, you didn't just say it. Like you promised, you promised you were mm-hmm. going to do this and it tears at something and it loses trust. And um, I think we feel this probably with our elected officials. We, um, it, it happens on in both sides of the aisle. And we're just like, man, what, what is going on here? Um, it would be just nice if people would, would and, and interestingly enough, um, I was about to say equivocate if people just wouldn't equivocate. And what's interesting in the confession and in, in paragraph four, uh, that, that the, the oath ought to be taken without equivocation. Uh, and so that doesn't mean that you can create some wiggle room. Well, I use this word, but I was using it in the sense of not in the sense you mean type thing. It's like, okay, that's, pretty darn messed up. What Let's was not... the line? Like, I, you know, uh, didn't Bill Clinton say something about the way that he used the word? No. What was that? Well, well, his famous line was that depends on what your definition definition of is, is. Yeah. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. 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 Um, no, I, I think what you're talking about equivocation is really good because what I think it, one thing that I think we need to, we need to point out that the, the Westminster divines do bake into this, to this chapter of Oaths and Vows is that they say that there are very limited, but there are cases when um, vows and oaths are allowed to be broken. Um, but what's interesting uh, is that they they qualify that by you know basically listing out these are the very limited cases when you can do that. Um, and what I think what comes to what comes to take place often now in terms of oath keeping it it there's this sort of like. Well, when I made that vow, I didn't know this would happen. Like, so, uh, you know, this is sort of classically uh, demonstrated in no fault divorce. It's like, you know, people were like, well, I didn't know when I married him that five years later, he would uh, uh, stop, you know, taking care of himself that, you know, he wouldn't keep working out. And it's like, you, well, like, sorry, that was baked into the equation beforehand. You don't get to equivocate now. Um, and, you know, vice versa, that happens, I think, a lot on, you know, uh, on the other side as well. Well, when, you know, when we got married, I didn't know she wanted kids. 
Um, and you know, that's, that's not a, that's in, in terms of what is going on right here, uh, in the Westminster confession of faith. I mean, that's, that's an equivocation that can't be allowed. Um, that they're, you know, unless it is in terms of breaking the law of God, um, to be, you know, being, uh, where you're later told, you know, I, I promise to obey this person. I'm thinking maybe in the military, um, where you swear an oath to commit, to obey your commanding officer. Um, and then, you know, maybe they're, they, they tell you to do an order that, you know, to kill civilians or something like that. Um, those are cases where, you know, Westminster divines are pretty clear, you know, you should break your oath and your vows in those circumstances. Um, yeah. But we, we kind of think like, oh, if anything changes in the calculus right now, even if it's sort of mundane or, you know, uh, tertiary or secondary, then I can break the vow. And the Westminster divines are very clear. Like, no, that's not the case. Yeah. One of the things with vow or vowing, taking O's here is that it ought to not be rushed into hastily. Vows and O's are meant to be things that slow us down, that we consider exactly what we're doing and, and two sides of that one is to make sure that you are not going to vow or oath something that is a sin or that will cause you to sin. So therefore there, that, that excludes a lot of things right off the bat that you shouldn't. Second of all, if you do end up foolishly making an oath and a vow that would cause you to sin uh, explicitly. And now that, and this is different from your example, then, then you break that vow and oath. You don't, you don't double down and commit two sins by, by sinfully vowing foolishly and then sinfully sinning out of that vow. Um, but second, it, there, uh, these oaths are meant to be very limiting. Like um, I don't, I might make an oath or like just choose like example that I will build a house for someone or a vow to something that I'll, that I'll build out, but I won't, that I'll build it in a day. That's absolutely stupid. Like that, that's, that isn't something that I'm going to hastily commit to something, something that I know I won't be able to finish. So it's, you know, we put parameters in place and guardrails to make sure that we're going to be able to fulfill what we vow. Um, and so whether this is like, I think for an elected official, for example, um, they, it can be very helpful in that if they are conscious of the vows of the oaths that they make, the vows that they take, then it will limit what they do in office and what promises they make on the campaign trail. This, this is almost pie in the sky, it feels like saying, because it's almost like I hear myself saying, I'm sure people are, even you, Robert, one of my biggest fans uh, is probably saying like, come on, Will, this is ridiculous. We all know they're going to do this. And like, true, but it's sad and it drives us absolutely crazy. You know, I, I'm thinking about, this is a really kind of funny example, but um, I saw somebody posted a picture on Twitter of some campaign signs uh, in Alexandria, I think is what it was. And it was like three different uh, candidates for, I think, city uh, council or something like that. Or, And, um, you know, they, their slogans are, are those sort of like, you know, pie in the sky. There's no way that those promises can actually be fulfilled. This sort of like, I'm going to, you know, vote. John Smith, I'll save the city. And it's like, you know, vote Carrie Brown. Like, um, uh, we'll make Alexandria great again. And then somebody was like, vote for me. Let's fix the storm drains. And it's like, that person has a pretty good grasp of like what their powers are. And when they make an oath to be city council, like what they're going to be able to accomplish. Yeah. Um, and I just appreciate that. I said, I don't know anything about these candidates. I don't know any of their political persuasions, but I'm already inclined to vote for that person because- they seem to have a good grasp of what's going on here. Um, well, and to say that it's kind of convicting to, to us as citizens, because there's a reason that those big campaigns and 
promises work, whatever, again, whether it's build back better or make America great again, there's a reason that that's so attractive. This big grand vision is so attractive that maybe put someone in place where they, what's the metric for that? Um, you know, and of course they're going to have their policy plan that they lay out and say, these are the things that I'm going to do and here's how I'm going to do it and yeah. all that. But yeah, I think that, um, there's something in us that we need to maybe put in check a little bit of what exact, how, what kind of, are we lo- expecting a utopia here? Because I think in like the extreme forces, extreme, uh, sectors of both sides, that it is a utopian attempt here that is being sought and it's either progressive or, uh, well, I don't say I don't think progressive and conservative are actually opposites. I think that liberal and conservative are more different. But but you know what, what's what's the what's the polar opposites here? And um, I, I yeah I think that when we consider O's in this way, I think that it can maybe help us calibrate our expectations and desires a little bit. Yeah, there's one more thing I wanted to touch on real quickly, and uh, maybe the uh, listener. Uh, who's just sort of following along will be like, well, this doesn't seem very connected, but it, it in fact, it's very much connected to this, this chapter on oaths and vows. Um, and that, that has to do with swearing in God's name. Hmm. Um, and I, I don't know about you. I, I, I'd be interested to know what your opinion is or what your perspective is. Does it not feel like in our lifetime, just growing up that swearing, and I'm not just talking about, you know, just like sort of cuss words, the four letter words, uh, but just the the using the Lord's name in vain as well. Hasn't it just become more pervasive in just sort of one, the common vernacular around people like in public and also like in our media? Have you noticed that difference? Well, I may, I'm, I'm thinking here, I, I haven't really been thinking about that, but I know grown up watching shows on like the Disney channel, they didn't say OMG that, or, you know, oh my gee, th- that was, that wasn't, um, Permitted. They probably knew that because they knew families would get upset whose kids were, we don't let them say, we don't let them say that, but it was probably because we don't let them say that or, but at this age, you know, uh, we'll let them say that eventually, but not now that that may have been it. But I also, I'm thinking about the show suits that's on USA Mm -hmm. and they use the term GD so much in that show. I mean, it was like, they flexed that and bent that and made that pliable for their purposes. Like I've never seen before. And I think it was because they were allowed to say that and not the F bomb. Like that may have been what like the FCC, the, the most extreme word that they allow, curse with it. And so they just, they just used it everywhere. But I was like, man, this is nuts that it is um, used so intensely. I, I look, we are an irreverent people and I don't think that there is the same reverence or awe around our Lord's name that, uh, that there ought to be, whether or not it's not at all opining for the good old days, but I definitely think that it it is not what it ought to be. And there is certainly a willingness to use his name very casually. Yeah. I, I, John frame, I think is really helpful on this point too. So I'm going to, I'm going to quote him again. Um, John Frame says, but many people use these terms being sort of using the Lord's name as a swear word, uh, aware of their sacredness without any godly intent. Uh, Rather, their purpose is to express their resentment against a situation, against other people, and ultimately God himself. Uh, These these uses of these terms border on oaths. The speaker may wish to bring down the wrath of God on someone who has offended him, or he may resent some situation that no human being has brought about, so that in effect he is cursing God when he uses God's name. 
I think the idea that of, of naming the importance of naming and when we name something, we get, we sort of assume some kind of control over that person or that name. Um, or there's some sort of, there's this equalizing status that happens when we use names like that. Um, and I think one thing I've been very convicted over, you know, in the last, you know, few years I'm coming, you know, I was in a fraternity in college and then sort of, you know, those few years after college, when you're sort of around your college buds and it still kind of feels like college, except you don't have class anymore. And, you know, my swearing was at such a point that I was just growing convicted of it, um, that I was just sort of wantonly using the Lord's name and the way that I was using it was, I was in such a way that I was cursing God. That's exactly what I was doing. That I was, I was cursing the Lord for some situation that I had been in or like, you know, that the ball had shanked right on my drive. Um, and I just think it's, it's really important, um, uh, as in our culture, it becomes so much more pervasive. Sorry, I'm going to dive into another quick story here, but like I was at a, I went to the Washington football team versus the New York giants uh, Thursday night football game uh, a couple weeks ago. It was really fun with a buddy. And, um, I just noticed like I'm in this section and there are kids around and there's families around and there's elders around. I think that's another thing people don't really think about a lot. Like, you know, um, and well, gosh, we're these... going to get into a whole topic of generationalism. I know, I know. And these people were just swearing constantly. And I'm talking, yeah, you know, four letter words for sure. But then also a lot of using the Lord's name in vain. And I was just thinking like, um, this is going to be an opportunity as it becomes so much, as it becomes so pervasive in our culture, the Christian distinctive as a opportunity for gospel witness in that, you know, yeah, you could probably like get some eyeballs on you because you become the cursing pastor, you know, the cussing pastor, like, Ooh, he's kind of edgy. Let's listen to his message. Or, uh, but I, I, I just think that like going forward, you're more likely to have a fruitful conversation because somebody you'll be on the golf course with somebody and they'll be like, I noticed that you don't ever swear. You don't ever use the Lord's name in vain. Why is that? And I think having the opportunity to sort of explain the Christian distinctive is going to be far more compelling to people than, than sort of being like, let's sort of like sit backwards in this chair and like be cool and show people how Christianity can be cool. And I think when I think of that, I particularly think of our language and swearing because it's become so pervasive. I mean, think about how many people listen to, um, and, I'm, and, and I want to be very clear when I say these things, I'm not, I'm not disparaging them and saying like Christians can't listen to it. They can't be part of it. But when you, when you listen to like the barstool sports podcasts, or when you go see a lot of popular movies or listen to popular music, um, um, there's just going to be, I think so much more opportunity for, for Christian witness and gospel witness and our distinctiveness of saying, well, we don't, we don't talk like that. And this is why. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we're words people. Uh, we believe the universe was made with them. And uh, we, Christians might disagree on their threshold, you know, uh, what words people can and can't say. But there is something to respecting, um, you know, someone's belief within within reason. Like, hey, I, I just don't, even if it's a word that you're okay with, like, you know, I don't say shut up, but you know, I respect that person for saying they don't think that's okay to say. Like, um, it reflects, I think, a level of of care around words which we should take very seriously. Which again takes us back to politics and um, 
but yeah, for sure. Uh, this has been a really fun conversation. Will. I'm glad that we decided to do this bonus episode and that you, you brought it up as an, as a topic. I think, you know, odes and vows not really considered, I think by a lot of people as like a, a major issue for Christians. And, and especially as I think about relating to the state, but obviously very important as you, I think really wisely pointed out the divine's place is directly before uh, the chapter on the civil magistrate. And there's probably good reason for that. Um, so yeah, super fun. I'm sure we'll be doing more bonus episodes through the confession of faith. You, uh, you talked about Christian Liberty. I'm excited for that one too. Um, yeah. And, and next week we have a uh, Jennifer Patterson coming on. Oh yeah. That's so, going to be so great. Excited to have her. Yeah, for sure. Um, well with that, thank you guys again for listening. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Artie Hassler. Will is at Stockdale. Will, uh, Will, you survived the Facebook shutdown crash. You were okay. You managed. Look at you. Um, I, I saw my favorite meme about the whole thing was, you know, Facebook went down, then TikTok went down. I think Instagram, maybe, oh, WhatsApp, I think went down. And somebody posted that GIF from uh, Star Wars with Kylo Ren yelling, more, more. Just kind of wishing that the whole social media landscape would go down, but it's so good. Uh, I know. Uh, but and always, you can check out uh, ministrytostate.org. Will you just wrote the devotional for this week? It was really good on John 17. People should check that out. Um, and with that, we'll see you guys again next week. <laughs>